0: some of you may be happy this is the last sermon of 2019 (laughs) the last sermon of the decade and I was I was going through this and do you realize it's been 20 years since Y2K how many remember that you remember the world was gonna end the world was just gonna collapse it's gonna be in all darkness computers were gonna fail Y2K 9-11 and 9-11 is almost 20 years you know I, I thought about that and <clears throat> I've read some st- statistics that this generation most of them weren't even alive at 9-11 or Y2K and those that were in the in the, the Gen X or the Gen Z they were too young to remember it I read a statistic that says um, The current generation is as far removed from the Vietnam War as our generation is from the Civil War. And you think about World War II, most of those folks are gone. Not too many people left that were involved in World War II. Time flies. And unfortunately, it doesn't stop for anyone. New Year's begins this Wednesday. So, I guess I have to ask anybody make resolutions? You don't bother anymore? Yeah. How many of you have actually postponed making a resolution until January? You thought, okay, in June, you know, I'm going to stop doing this. But I'm going to wait till January to make that resolution. Maybe your resolution should be procrastination has to go. There's always things about yourself you want to change, right? Anybody really happy with everything that you do and you are right now? Probably most of us want to change some things. And I believe that God gives us a new year which allows us to maybe start with a clean slate. Forget the previous year. This year is going to be different. How many have said that before? This year is going to be different. And this year winds up being just the same as last year this year was worse well on Wednesday new year starts everything's fresh clean brand new how many of you make resolutions about your spiritual condition we promise I'm going to read more I'm going to pray more I'm going to give more I'm going to do more for God and these are all great things and we should probably try to do them but most of the things that we try to do, we don't actually complete doing. Because I think a lot of times we try to do them in the flesh. We have this anticipation. We want to do something for God in the natural. And then we've not been prompted by the Spirit to do that. Or we don't allow the Spirit of God to come in and get, energize us to do this. How many remember what our tagline used to be when we first got here? The church's, I guess, statement. The church of new beginnings how many you remember that we did that because it it signified that the church was beginning a lot of new things when we came here and god wants us to experience a new beginning in our lives as well you know this december 13th, 16th we started our 13th year here i know right 13 years and god has done great things and This year is almost, it'll be 80 years since the church was started. It's been five years since we had our 75th. But you know what? I think our best years are yet to come. How many agree with that? I want to look at a very familiar chapter in Isaiah. We've probably talked about it before. I know we've mentioned it. I know you've probably read it before yourself. And I want to see what God says to the people of Israel that could also apply to us today. Now, Before we start, let's figure out what Isaiah is doing. He is one of the prophets that foretold Israel and Judah that their judgment was coming. Their sinful lifestyle had just been pushed too far and God says, okay, enough's enough. You're going to be put into exile for 70 years. And he was the one telling them that it was coming. And so we come to chapter 43. Now we know that Isaiah is writing to all of Judah, the whole country of Judah, but how many know that there's always a remnant in that that country? Most of them were bad, but he had a small remnant, they were still obeying God. But unfortunately, they were gonna be swept up with the judgment of everybody else. And so he's writing to them and he puts this verse in to give hope to the people that are gonna be swept away who really didn't deserve it. He wants them to know that bad times, even though bad times are coming, the bad times aren't gonna last forever, And they should hold on to hope for what God's going to do in the future. And Isaiah, more than any other prophet, showed us the redemptive work of God. He's the one that gave us Isaiah 53 about Jesus. And he's going to redeem Israel, redeem the Gentiles. And that was the whole theme of his book. Not only was judgment coming, but redemption was coming as well. And knowing that hardships were coming to sinful Israel, he starts chapter 43 with these verses. He says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And as we mentioned, there was a remnant in Judah who were godly they did everything that God had told them to do but since the rest of the nation was so sinful they were going to be part of the judgment but he wanted them to know the the people that were remnant that the hardships that are coming are not going to destroy them they're not going to wash over them they're not going to drown them they're not going to burn them up he's telling them I'm going to be with you through this judgment time the rest of the nation who wasn't even listening to Isaiah at that time because he's telling them to repent and they're not repenting. So the only people that are really listening to Isaiah are the remnant. So he's telling them that judgment is coming, but he's going to be with them through the hard times. How often does life press in on you so much that you think you're not going to make it? That this, this is the worst it's ever going to get? And how many of us have turned to this verse to say, you know what, even though it's bad, God's not going to let me be overwhelmed by it. We get, heart, we get comfort from these verses in the times of hardship. And then he goes on in chapter 43 with his plans for restoring them after the punishment's over. And these are the verses I want to talk about, about today. Isaiah 43:16 says, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and there they lay, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things; do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing; now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Perceive it. What's he saying? He's telling them the judgment's coming. He's going to be with them through the judgment. He's going to help them endure it and when the time comes when he restores them he's going to do something that they haven't seen before now he's reminding them of all the things that he's done for israel he parted the red sea drowned the egyptian soldiers and i'm thinking as as a nation that's probably one of their defining moments when god delivered them their birth as a nation they were kind of baptized through that that red sea water And all throughout the Old Testament, God kept reminding his people of all he's done for them. Every time a prophet comes in to get their attention, he would remind them of everything that God's already done. Why aren't you paying attention to God now because of all these blessings he did? And every time they backslid Israel, God had to refresh their memory. You know, that tells me history is not unimportant. God wants us to remember the things that he has done for us in the past. In fact, when they crossed the Jordan, uh, Joshua told them, go get some stones out of the river, put them on the bank, make this a memorial so when your kids ask you, what are these stones doing here? You can tell them what God did for you. What's the saying that we've heard before? Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Every church has a history, every church has a past, every Christian has a history and a past. The things that are memorable and important to each one of us. Whenever Christmas comes around, what do you think about? Why, you know, I like modern stuff but every time Christmas comes around, I have to play the old, old songs. I'm not into like McCartney's version of Christmas and Lennon and all those guys that did Christmas current contemporary, not even contemporary, but new stuff. Not into it. I have to play like Nat King Cole when I got to play, you know, Bing Crosby and all those. Why? Because that's what we remember, right? And then come Christmas, I got to put that music away. But we we think about things because we have memories of those i read an article that says that your how to go the the music that forms in you is what was popular when you were young when you were really into music whatever was popular at that time is kind of what seals inside of you i heard dobson say this once I've always wondered when people come from different countries to live here and they've been here for a long time, they still have an accent. I always wondered about that. And he said something, it clicked, he says, your vocal cords after a certain time will begin to harden. And after a certain period you can't change that because they, they harden so you're still gonna have that accent of how you, how you grew up. And I think that's how it is with, with things that are important to us, things that were popular during the day. And every Christmas, every holiday, we like to reflect on things that have happened over the years. When I get older, as I get older, I I keep talking to folks my age. Why? Because we have a common history, common things that went on, things we remember, whether it's to us or in general in society, things that were popular during our lifetime. And each generation does the same. Each generation has their own history, their own memories, their own things that are important to them. I mentioned 9-11 before. 9-11 is an event you remember where you were. When Candy was shot, you remember where you were. When Bobby Candy was shot, you knew where you were. When the Challenger went down, you knew where you were. Things that were, you know, instant in your mind things that are important to you. Now, what does God say about that? In verse 18 of Isaiah 43, he says, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past. Now, does that mean we forget everything God's done? No, it just means we, don't, we can't live there. We can't stay there. As much as we wish it could, history will never go backwards. Sometimes you wish it would. Time will never come back. Now, I've been getting into big band music lately. Don't, ex- I don't know. I don't know why. But I, I got, I have Spotify and I'm listening to, you know, Glenn Miller, Tommy DeWall. I'm just listening to all that big band stuff. And I like that era. I like the 40s and early 50s. And, but you know what? It ain't coming back. I loved the way they designed cars back then. I liked all that stuff that happened, but it's not coming back. No matter how much I want it to it's not going to be the way it was and church is no different church goes through life changes as it grows God has done great work in this church in the past almost 80 years and in every church and in your life great things happen but you can't stay there we've all seen healings and miracles and heard Maybe awesome sermons, but you like those. But you can't stay at that particular moment. God says to Israel, hey, remember those great things I did? Remember the Red Sea and the Egyptian soldiers? Remember that, but you can't stay there. We're moving on. Forget that. Don't dwell on the things of the past. And all he's saying to them is, I'm not going to do it the same way anymore. How many partings did you see after that? Isaiah 43, 18 again, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? Sometimes in our desire to see God work and do great things, we think he's gonna do exactly like he did it before. And seldom does God do the same thing twice or the same method twice. Our memories are designed not to be a pattern of God's workings, but a catalyst to push us forward to trust God for something even better, even bigger, even different. Now, when God parted the Red Sea, they had never seen that before. first time it ever happened, right? They thought they were all going to die. They come to the edge. They thought they were going to die when they go back to Egypt. God did something for them that was brand new. They never even conceived that God can do. And they did it. And what was that supposed to do? That was supposed to build their faith for God to do something miraculous in a situation that seemed impossible. Not that God was gonna part the water every single time they came to a situation. It was the catalyst just to believe God could do something that in man's eyes is impossible. It wasn't supposed to be a template that God was going to do it the same way every time. You know, I've, and I've sent, mentioned this before, have you tried to figure out how God can answer your prayer? In the natural, have you tried to sit down and figure out, well, you know, if God can do this and he'll put this together and he'll do this, then I can see it working. How many know it doesn't work, doesn't work that way? If you can figure it out, It's not a miracle. If you know how it's gonna work, God's not involved. When God does something, and God wants it to be known that it's Him, it is a miracle that is unexplainable. And that's exactly what God wants us to trust Him for. I've mentioned this before, God healed at least three people who were blind. He did not do it the same way twice. Why? Because now we would have Books galore how to heal a blind guy in 10 easy steps. (laughs) Spit on the ground, get the mud, stick in his eye, rub it around, bang, that's how he's going to be healed. Why? Because we use it as a template rather than the fact that God can do a miracle regardless of how he does it. We begin to think that it's the method that God's going to use and not the person or not a miracle. When Isaiah told them to look for something that was new, he was also foreshadowing the coming of Christ. The Israelites were so steeped in their law, what they knew, the method of keeping the law, everything they did according to the books, they focused on the method. They did not look at the person to whom the method was pointing. They worshiped the method. They worship the law, they worship doing everything according to what God's word says, and they didn't see that it wasn't about the method. It was about what the method was pointing to. And a lot of times if we think and we can analyze what God's gonna do and we try to do it the same way all the time, we're, we're worshiping the method. We're not trying to focus on what's, what's God wanna do, not with the method, but with the people that are involved. Isaiah goes on in verse 19, says, I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The, animals, the wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland. God was, again, going to do something that the Jewish people couldn't even imagine. It was something totally unexpected, totally miraculous, totally something that only God can do. None of those things that were mentioned there could be done by man. There's a lot of, there's a plethora of books out there on church growth and all that kind of stuff. But I read an article the other day. And the, the, the title grabbed me. It says, Pastors, Quit Trying to Grow Your Church. I'm like, what? i got to read that one. And, and the article basically said that when you put all your effort into doing as a preacher, Doing, 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 doing. You're missing out on what God wants to do, not only through other people, but through the Holy Spirit in the church. He says, and the, the article goes on to explain Ephesians 4, you Ephesians know, 4, about 4.11, God gave pastors and teachers to what? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. The, article was, the point of the article was preachers, You need to spend time praying for your people, energizing them, telling them what God's called them to do. Not do it yourself. Because if you do it yourself, you're doing it under your power. You're not doing what God told you you to do by equipping the folks to do the work. And we begin to do things out of habit. We do things because we've always done them that way. And it worked a while ago, and we keep doing it even though they're not working like they used to work. Another article I read was when is it time to kill a ministry? And uh, the gist of the article was well if it's not doing what it was designed to do and you're not reaching people maybe it's time to stop it. And not hold on to the ministry so far because you've always done it that way. Now what was God gonna do to them or for them through the situation after he provided water in the desert for the animals verse 20 says to give drink to my people my chosen the people i formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise and what he's saying is learn from the law learn from god's word don't worship or stay there you know i'm big on knowing the bible right y'all don't know the bible But how many know we don't worship the Bible? It's a tool to introduce us to Jesus. Don't worship the law. Don't stay there because God is changing the way you're going to have a relationship with him. The relationship is no longer going to be through what you do. It's going to be through whom you have a relationship, Jesus. And ultimately to provide a place where people can get refreshed because they came to know Christ. He's using the illustration of the desert. You're gonna get refreshed in the desert. New water is gonna be there. What did Jesus say? I'm the living water. When you walk into a church, every, when we pray for church services, we pray that when folks come in, their hearts are open, that God does the work in their heart. That whatever we do facilitates them to know Jesus more and that Jesus can be the one who refreshes them. The Bible says to give drink to my people We don't have living water. We can tell you where to go to get living water. We can tell you about Christ. And God uses the miraculous things from the past, not as a template, but as a reminder that God still does things that are impossible. God still does miracles. God may do something that we've never expected, never saw coming, but God can do it. And we can't be stuck doing things the way we've always done them. I wrote down here, God will do a new thing, something that we cannot even expect in order that he may be able to share his love with those who need it. I've been praying lately. I'm not a big risk taker, unfortunately. But I'm praying, Lord, what one great thing do you want me to trust you for? What is it? I mean, what thing that is beyond any capability I have, what do you want to trust me to, to do? Step out in faith haven't got an answer yet on that but I'm praying don't let me just be stuck where I am and that should be all of our prayers don't let me be stuck where we are what next step we need to take we can't stay where we are and expect to move forward how many have ever been in a, a plane at a gate waiting to taxi out you're looking out the window and the plane next to you is moving and you feel like you're moving you just you but you're not and a lot of times when we keep doing the same thing we think we're moving we think we're advancing God's kingdom but we're not it's just that the world keeps getting worse so we think we're getting better but we're not we're staying the same sometimes change how many like change love it bring it on right Change gets uncomfortable because we are comfortable where we are. Here's another tidbit. Whatever age or whatever style of communicating with other people that you've grown up with is generally how you're gonna do that now. How many of you still have a house phone? One, A handful. They're going to be gone, not too much longer. Well, (laughs) one or the other. But we're comfortable using, and the funniest video I've ever seen was getting a young person to use a rotary phone. You're comfortable using a phone with a cord. Younger generations, as I mentioned have no idea even how to use a rotary phone and even, the, da- even the, the, the push button phones they leave the receiver on the thing push up dumb buttons and then pick up the phone because they don't know. They're, we're comfortable using what we grew up with but eventually what we grew up with is gonna be gone. How many have seen a phone booth lately? No phone booth. In <clears throat> hmm. The In the movies yeah if you grew up with rotary phones are gone phone booths are gone how many of you actually write letters by hand jane does sometimes notes how many of you use email now instead of handwritten letters i'm waiting for the post office to go away because everybody emails now right the point is all those things aren't bad but if we want to keep communicating with everyone else in society we can't use what we've always grown up with because nobody else is using it when my mom was alive she was in she used a computer a little bit my brother set her up and you know she was able to check her bank and all that kind of stuff on it but once she died my dad had no no computer no nothing the only reason he had a cell phone was because my brother bought him one gave it to him and yanked his phone out of his house because he he couldn't make it to the phone to answer it he just wouldn't answer it so he had the cell phone with him but he had a computer in his in in their office that just sat collecting dust because he didn't want anything to do with it and then you would ask how do i check my bank account i said dad i don't know Mom had all your passwords and she's gone and you didn't learn them. We can't be so stuck in what we're used to and what we're comfortable with so we miss out on the things that God wants to do. Things that we don't even know. You know, I said before and someone not original to me said that uh, Facebook is for old people. (laughs) Is that right? That's... My youngest, Madison, very rarely uses Facebook. She's on Instagram and Snapchat and all those other ones, you know. But us old people, we got, we're okay with Facebook. <laughs> but every statistic you read about church work, most people who, most younger people, if you want to reach younger people, they're on those formats. <laughs> they're on Snapchat, Instagram, whatever those things are. (laughs) Our job is to learn it. Our job is to learn it, to be a part of it. We can't be so stuck in what is comfortable for us that we miss the opportunity to reach people with the gospel because they don't use what we're using. They don't speak the way we speak. Do you know what that means? We have to speak the way they speak and reach them where they are. The Bible says that Jesus went to people where they were. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He could have sat down in a chair outside the temple and just waited. But he didn't. He walked, walked around, and he met people. If I ask you what our vision was for Dobra Dober assembly eight years ago, would you remember what it was? It's pretty lengthy. If you find an old bulletin somewhere it'll say this it says to provide the dover area with a church that can present christ in a contemporary creative and caring way in order to produce committed followers whose lives have been made new through a personal relationship with the living god true good wordy long if someone picks this up and starts reading it, they might stop after the first few words that's too long how many of you get an email that is really long? And, you, and you're like, I'm not reading that whole email. I'm going to get to the end and read the end. So what we did a couple years ago was we shortened it. How many know what it is? Oh, <laughs> I was going to ask them if they knew. We basically say the same thing in a much shorter way to get people's attention, bullet points. Connect to God, build people, offering hope. We changed it to be more concise and short and basically say the same thing because people's attention spans are short. People want instant. They like bullet points, they want it quick. And we wanna be able to get the truth across in a way that they're gonna read it. The vision, the old vision was great, but if no one reads it, what good is it? This new year 2020, My prayer is that God does a new thing. I don't know what it is. Something that is so outlandish, so unexpected, so impossible that everyone knows about it. And you know what I think that is? I used to think it was, you know, something miraculous that happened in a service. What I really think it is, is people getting saved lives being changed. Not just a prayer and they go back to the way they were, but I mean, when you pray and you leave, your life is changed. That's the biggest miracle that can happen. Because what happens is, what happens when you got saved? What was the first thing you did? You couldn't wait to tell everybody about it. Man, what God did for me, how he changed me, and people knew the difference in your life. From being over here to being totally different. And your life was just a a testimony, just walking around. I remember my brother's, I was at my grandfather's funeral. I just got saved. And, you know, word spread throughout my family that I got saved. And it was, my mother read the letter and she's like, what what are you doing? So I'm at the funeral. I'm sitting down and my brother comes up to me. He says, he said, swear. I said, what? He said, come on, swear, cuss, say something. I said, nah, because I had a bad mouth. I said, "No, nah, I can't do that. And he jumped up. He said, I knew it. I knew it. Something was different about you. What's wrong with you? The point is, they saw something different. And to this day, I still have an inroad to talking a little bit about that. People should see a radical difference in your life when you become a Christian. And it shouldn't end after the, the honeymoon period of being a new Christian wears off our lives should be something that people want to know about. And I think when, when people get saved and they're excited about things of God, that is the best testimony of God's miracle working power that you can have because you may not know God's word, you may not know anything about the Bible, but if you look at someone, their story is their story. You knew how they were, you knew how they are. God had to do something and that's what gets people's attention. That's what people see, that's the miracle. And everything else is just to validate what God does in in salvation. Our job is to trust God to do it. Whatever that might mean, whatever he may ask us to do as a church, individually, what is God wanting to do that's something we've never done, that is different to reach people with the gospel. Our job is to be open to that. And as Keith mentioned, we have the week of prayer coming up, first full week of January. But as he said, it's not just those three days. We should be praying all the time. We should be praying for God to build his church because God's the one that's gotta do it. Who in your family isn't saved? Who in your sphere of friends man, if they die today, they're not going to heaven. And one of the things that I think God has to impress upon each one of us, me included, is the reality of what happens when you die. So that we really have that burden in our hearts. Paul said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And we should have the same thing. Woe to me if I don't share my faith with somebody else. Because if I don't tell someone something that may save them, not only from an eternal torture, but something that can benefit their life today, really, can I call myself their friend if I don't tell them what I already know? James Kennedy, I'll close with this. Is it really 11.30? Man, I'm gonna keep you till noon that's what you paid for what great impossible thing are we trusting God to do this year not only in the church but for you personally what miracle you trust in God to do God's still in the miracle work in business right we talked about that a couple weeks ago God still does miracles God still heals God does things that we can't imagine. Our job is to consistently pray and trust him to do it. In Daniel, we have the spiritual battle going on. The Bible says Daniel prayed for three weeks and for 21 days the angel was held up doing spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. In the book of Daniel. The entire three weeks that Daniel prayed, there was spiritual warfare going on prohibiting the angel from coming to minister to Daniel. Had Daniel quit praying at two weeks, wouldn't have made it. When we pray, it's not just a one and done. Our prayers have to be consistent until either God answers the prayer or we're gone. Because when we pray, not only for someone's salvation, but God, what are you going to do with my life? How are you going to use me for your glory? Because really, that's what we're here for. Is that right? We're here to bring glory to God. How do we do that? By allowing God to use us however, wherever, and whenever we are. If we are truly God's servants for His servant, then we are to do what God asks us to do without questioning. Without complaining, we should just do it. And I think, and I'm excited for what God's going to do next year. I'm not going to try to figure out how God's going to do it, but I'm just going to pray and I'm going to trust that God's going to do something miraculous in this new decade. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? My wife is going to be so upset because he has stuff planned for the kids until 12. And I'm letting you out early. And now I'm jipping you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for all the miracles, all the tremendous things that you've done for us up to this point, both in this church for the past almost 80 years than how much you've done in our individual lives as long as each one of us have known you. Lord, help us not to forget every miracle, every answered prayer, every healing, every time that you intervened in our lives in a way that we can only say that was God intervening. Help us to remember every one of them and help us to remember how impossible they seemed at the time. And then allow us to use that as a springboard to believe you for even better things. Not only this next year, but the next decade or 20 years, however long we're here, Lord. Help us to be excited and trusting, just as we were all those times before, for every answered prayer to trust you that you will continue to do great things, things that we can't anticipate, things that we don't know or understand. Help us to be in a position where we pray and just trust you to do what you're going to do. He he told Israel, I'm going to do a new thing, something you've never seen before, something you'd, actually, if you would read your word, you'd know, but they didn't something that is unimaginable but something that brings glory to the name of Christ. I pray for this new year that each one of us would begin to pray and trust for the salvation of those in our families as we've done in the past. We don't stop. We keep praying. Help us to continue to continue to continue to pray and trust you for the outcome. Help us to trust you for some great miracle, some great thing you want us to do that's unaccomplishable in our own ability. But God, something you burn upon our hearts to attempt and we see where you meet us and you complete what we start. Father, I pray your blessings upon each person as this new year begins. I pray that this year is a, a clean slate. That we start out this year, the past is behind, Paul says... I forget what's behind. I press forward to the high calling of Christ. So, Father, if last year was a bad year, we forget it. Put it in the past. We can't change it, but we can press on and trust you for great things in the future. Lord, pour your blessings upon each person. Pour your spirit upon each person. Allow us to respond to the anointing and the power that you've filled each one of us with. And we will be careful to acknowledge you as the one who gave it as we honor the name of Jesus in this new year. And it's in his name that we ask all these things. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. And man, I'm excited for next year, 2020, new decade. Wow, exciting. Have a great new year. We will see you next Sunday.